accept this vow, then. If I must drink blood, let it be the blood of the corrupt, of those who deserve to die, the blood of the guilty. Morbius, the living vampire, lying through his teeth. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects. But away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards, we like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of your class your name, what you're here to learn about, and... How much you like the Thousand Suns? You've stopped writing these down in advance, haven't you? <laughs> uh, my name is Mac. I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe, and the Thousand Suns is the only armor that's worth your time. They're talking about 40k if you're like me and don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that in mind, Professor C, <laughs> what's our lesson for today? Oh, possibly the worst character we've ever covered. That's really unfair. The, um, we've <laughs> covered Dr. Druid. We also covered witches. <laughs> That was a bad comic book. That's different. I don't know. Uh, we are covering Morbius the Living Vampire. Now, I'm not going to be a super negative person throughout the entire thing. Uh, but real quick, one, we debated for a long time whether we were going to cover Morbius or not. But we finally gave in and decided we kind of have to because he's in... basically every supernatural comic that's ever been created. Even though he himself... Is, is not? mostly not supernatural. Although he bit Blade and turned him into the Daywalker, so he's... Good for Blade. He's technically not supernatural himself. No, but he's just one of the most used vampires. He's just butt deep in the supernatural world. I mean, he's got the look. You could argue that the supernatural part of him is the fact that they still haven't been able to figure out a cure in a universe where all of these insanely smart scientists exist. <laughs> yeah. Now, part of the reason that I just immediately started with knocking on Morbius is he kind of drives me up a wall. That's, we've talked about ad nauseum. I'm always trying to look into the characters and figure out an approach, my approach to the character to kind of understand so I can uh, explain them better. And where Dracula's a moron but funny... Uh, a, a powerful moron, but funny, and Mephisto gets bored easily. Morbius is a heroin addict. <laughs> yes. And, like, that's interesting, but it's harder for us to make jokes about. Despite the fact that Mac joked, or laughed when I just called him a heroin addict right there. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing the panels where he, that's literally <laughs> what describes what's happening. <laughs> He's... He's either and, like, on the smack or he's smacking people. We are not a comedy podcast, but... We do make a lot of jokes in this to kind of get through some of the weirder parts. Morbius is a heroin addict whose solution to everything is, A, the highest of melodrama. He has an exquisite sense of high melodrama. And B, untested formulas 
injected just straight into the veins heroin style. He thinks he can solve every single problem with untested formulas that probably involve bat DNA. <laughs> he and is wrong. He really does not <laughs> like testing anything that he makes. No. There's no time. <laughs> there is absolutely time, Morbius. <laughs> Spare was like, what happened? Oh, I found a needle in the alley when I came myself with it. <laughs> Figured I'd see what happens. Uh, and we'll cover it when we get to what we read. But, I mean, it's really direct in the Vidal of Morbius series that we read for some of our reading. The whole heroin addict angle. But to Morbius himself... Michael Morbius is born and raised in Nephplio, Greece, the son of Mac... Someday I will learn to look these things up before we hit the record button. You know, real quick, yeah, I know that we, we've just started in on you telling us about who Morbius is. No, no, please. I don't think I ever realized that Morbius was supposed to be Greek. I didn't until this either. And now I want a Jason Manzoukas Morbius. Oh, I would love that so much. We will get heavier into this in um, the Morbius movie episode. We apologize. Um, but I don't. One, on one level, Jared Leto is the perfect character to play Morbius. Actually, yeah, 100%. But <laughs> Because he's a crap sack. Whichever one you want. I don't, everything about Jared Leto creeps me out. And everything about Morbius annoys me. So, like, lines up. But to make a Morbius movie that I would enjoy? 100% Jason Mantazoukas. Zooks. Do you know who we're talking about on that one? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. He's uh, um, Pimento in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if you've watched that show. He's in actually a lot of stuff. He's really busy. Yes. But that that's where him. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. It's Pimento. <laughs> Oh, God. What's his name on The Good Place? Derek? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's uh, Unkar Plutt in... No, not Unkar Plutt. That's the Star Wars guy. He's... Um... Oh, oh, he's in Star Trek Prodigy. And yeah. I get... Jenkum Pog. That's it. And he and refers he's... to himself as Jenkum Pog. Not important. This is not general nerdery. I don't need to get wildly distracted. Rafi Bomb. <laughs> Actually, I would have enjoyed this whole thing more if I just imagined his, like, manic voice. In, oh, my God. Thank you for possibly saving Michael Morbius as a character for me. <laughs> it's um, Zooks. <laughs> it's the Zooks. Michael Morbius was born and raised in Nafplio, Greece, the son of Macoria Morbius. Almost certainly not pronouncing that. M-A-K-A-R-I-O-A. -A -A. Cool. Macoria... It's not going to come up again. Congratulations. Or if it will come up again, it'll be like one sentence way down the line. Michael was raised by a single mother after the father, the that guy, left. Michael experiences an isolated childhood due to his rare blood condition. Uh, despite his disease, however, he's intellectually brilliant from an extremely early age and spends most of his time reading. Despite everything... And a lot of comics talking about him being isolated from an early age. We're immediately going to talk about his two best friends. <laughs> he's so Which isolated is... that he's connected at the hip to two people. Right. <laughs> Emil Nikos and his sister, Eliza, Elizabeth Nikos. Liza. The three of them are as close as family. But uh, complications arise. Okay, so 
The Marvel Wikia says that he confessed his love to her and she turned it down. No. But we all read that. That's 100% like inaccurate. It's it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's like, and she rejected him. No, 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 no. He's like, no, I do love you. But as a sister, she's like, well, I'm going to go then. He's like, no, we must cuddle. Dude, just let her, like, you just. What was the other time we ran into it where it was like, he went into the tower thinking that he could be a good guy. And it's like, you read the issue and it's like, the second the dude stood foot in the tower, he thought he was going to just take over the world. <laughs> Oh, which one was that? That was with Merlin, I think. Yep. <laughs> yep. Forever. Oh, God. This is the problem with the fact that we sometimes, that we have to rely on wikis more than we like to for this podcast. Uh, every once in a while, there's some creative choices by the wiki writers. <laughs> While in college, Michael and Emil become brilliant scientists and they win a Nobel Prize for their work in biochemistry. They attempt to cure the blood disease that Morbius is suffering from and develop an experimental treatment involving vampire bats and electroshocks. Also, Michael begins dating their lab assistant who mostly seems to exist in those early appearances to... Be left on the boat? Be there? Yeah. Nothing good is going to happen to Martine this entire time. And she somehow doesn't realize that he has this debilitating blood condition that is, like, actively murdering him extremely quickly. Everyone else in the world knows. <laughs> Martine just fails her and perception check. she's like, what's going wrong? Time. What's going on oh. here? It's not 100% Martine's fault. Stanley, who, from what I can tell, quit writing Spider-Man in the middle of this storyline, is great for uh, many wonderful things. He's Stan friggin' Lee. He did not write women well. And I've gotten a lot of flack over the years for saying that, but, like, women existed to pine after the main hero, or villain, or to be kidnapped by the villain to be rescued. So, not forgiving Martine for being useless, but also understanding where some of that came from from an early stage. Let's, let's also point out that Stanley just also had, uh, didn't write well in a lot of ways, just in general. Stanley is the George Lucas of comic books. He's a great ideas guy. Um, and there's also a whole discussion to be made about, uh, the Marvel method too, and how that might've worked in, but, uh, for a quick explanation, the Marvel method is, he only did it with a few people, but with like Kirby and Ditko mm -hmm. and Ramita, he did it. The writer and the artist come up with the plot line together. The artist then just draws out the book without a script. And then Stan comes in and fills in the dialogue after. And often changes the plot line a little bit in the meantime, so writers have to come in and reinvent what's happening. This is how we got Galactus, because Stanley went, I don't know, make him fight God. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> he tends to work mostly for the Distinguished Competition these days, but there is one major artist who refuses to work on anything except Marvel Method. Who's that, Capullo? Capullo. Right, yeah, okay. These days, it's mostly he figured out how to work with Scott Snyder, and they've just which is been, like, hilarious forever. because Snyder does some of the most in-depth full script in the business. He will write a forty-five page script for a twenty-two page comic. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Anyways, okay. the how Marvel they work together? Is, don't know. 
But great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Back to Morbius, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Look, Marvel Method is way more interesting than Morbius. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, the side effects of this vampire bat and lightning turn... <laughs> Look, man, this is what happened. Turn Morbius into a pseudo-vampire who needs to consume blood in order to survive. He gains typical vampire characteristics, such as an aversion to sunlight, the powers of flight, enhanced speed, strength, and healing. His overall appearances are changed as well. He gains fangs. It says on the wiki his nose flattens to appear more bat-like, but in the comic, he already had pig nose. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And complained about having pig nose. I mean, they didn't call it that, but... It's, yeah. it's pretty accurate. It's like, or it's like Phantom of the Opera nose. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it is. He gains fangs, his nose flattens to appear more bat-like, and his skin becomes extremely pale. Sometimes he gets weird-looking ears, too. He gets kind of pointy ears on, and later on will make him look significantly more bat-earsy. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the, like, half-bat-faced Morbius look. The more monstrous yeah, Morbius? Yeah, 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 yeah. Although he does start reminding me more of... Uh... Uh, more modern Kirk Langstrom at that point. Mm-hmm. He gets a little more man bat, but yeah. he needs everything he can get. So, mm-hmm. man bat. Also, he does gain the ability to turn uh, his victims into living vampires themselves. When he first experiences this change, he kills Emil as he can't control his bloodlust. When Liza learns of what happened to her brother, she swears revenge against Morpheus. But in retrospect, I don't know how. She figured this out because all of this happens on a boat and then he just ditches. Yeah. And Martine didn't know what was happening. She was upstairs. Yeah. Uh, Emil basically gets Natalie Woods. I don't actually know what that reference is. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, she was a famous actress that. The Christopher Walken. Yeah. Lady. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Except Martine will survive to be a pain in the butt for many other characters. Well, Martine will survive. Emil didn't. Emil yeah, got that's Natalie. True. No, that's, I'm sorry, you're right. That's right. That's right. No, Emil's, yeah, Emil's dead. Horrified by his actions and mutation, Morbius leaves for New York to conduct more research in secret. Again, using the wiki there, but having read it, no, he jumped off a boat and just hung out in the ocean until another boat came by. <laughs> came on board and killed everybody. And, like, did his best to not be Dracula, but was basically Dracula. Immediately dracula In this first encounter, he encounters the scientist-turned-monster known as the Lizard, as well as Spider-Man while he was going through his many arms phase. <laughs> the like we uh, delightful six-arm saga that we will discuss more later. Samples of Morbius's blood uh, get let the Lizard revert back to his human form of Kirk Connors and allows Spider-Man to lose his extra limbs. It's discovered that a few of Morbius' victims didn't actually die and are infected with a form of his own mutation, giving them increased strength and bloodlust, but no further superhuman abilities. Michael and Martine, who's just back, synthesize an antidote for the victims, but the serum doesn't work on his own condition. Overtaken by bloodlust for one of many, many times, Morbius attacks Martine, turning her into a pseudo-vampire as well. He uses the serum to cure her, and Morbius leaves rather than endanger her again. Again, this is like the fourth or fifth. This is the first of like eight times he will attack Martine. Just stop hanging out with him. Red flags. 
Also, like, I don't want to turn this, like, super dark, but we were already likening him to, like, a heroin addict. It's kind of like his condition is he was a needle sharer and is full-blown, but now he's passing around the HIV as well. Yeah, there's a whole lot of, like, there's a whole lot of things you could do with Morbius, but more often than not, I just find him annoying. Mm -hmm. And that's not, they just... It's kind of hard to go to some of the lengths that you need to go to when you're also like, hey, he might team up with She-Hulk next week. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Morbius washes ashore and is found by Jefferson and Jacob Bolt, who he tries to feed on immediately afterwards. He, and he turns Jefferson into a vampire. Meanwhile, Morbius's fiance Martine, tries contacting the Fantastic Four to help Morbius. The Human Torch seeks out Morbius' former colleague, Hans Jorgensen, and joins forces with Spider-Man during another battle with Morbius. During the fight, Morbius accidentally kills Jefferson Bolt and flees. We're not going to cover every time Spider-Man and Morbius meet up. There will be like 18 more times still across this, but like understand that for every one of these that we're covering, there's at least one other time that he shows up, has an indecisive battle with Spider-Man, and runs away. Probably involving drinking more serum somewhere along the way. When news of Jorgensen's supposed kidnapping by Spider-Man reaches Professor X, who is an old buddy of Jorgensen, he sends the X-Men to track down Spider-Man. When he discovers that Morbius was actually to blame, he sends the mutants to capture him instead. After a lengthy battle, the X-Men manage to defeat Morbius and rescue Jorgensen. Jorgensen is able to cure Spider-Man of the uh, pseudo-vampirism that was going down thanks to meeting up with Morbius... Spider-Man thanks the X-Men who leave it uh, before leaving them to deal with Dr. Morbius himself. Morbius will then go on. Morbius will actually become a solo character, mostly in a book called Vampire Tales and a whole lot of like black and white Marvel magazines. And he will go on to save a woman named Amanda Saint from the Demon Fire Cult and help her in her search for her parents. The Demon Fire Cult is only notable for one being very on the nose because it is a cult that deals with fire demons. Is and it? it's led by a man named Apocalypse, which confused me while I was trying to figure that part out. Because it's not an Sabanur Apocalypse. It's just a dude Called who a calls himself Apocalypse, who I think might be a demon. But, it, you know, best case scenario is demon adjacent. Huh. I imagine if he hadn't been killed off in that story, probably, I believe by fire, that and Sabanur would have shown up later and been like, Come dude. <laughs> this is what? my name. Dude. Not happening, bro. <laughs> Not cool. We met an Apocalypse last time. He murders for significantly less than copyright violation. Yes. Michael Morbius and Martine, who's just, again, back, she just returns... And he's like, I must flee. Oh, you're here again. Did you did you put a tracking device on me or something? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Battle Reverend Damon and encounters the caretakers of Arcturus. He visits the land within, home of the cat people, who we will actually probably have at least a partial episode about later because they are also the source of the heroine Tigra. Mm, nice. And he battles their greatest warrior, Balkatar. Balkatar and Morbius will work together to take down uh, the Reverend Daemon. He's hunted by Blade the Vampire Slayer for the first of many times, until Blade became aware of his plight. The two cooperate to battle Daemon again. Daemon creates Terra, a psychic vampire. Morbius is able to kill Daemon and Terra both. He then encounters Simon Stroud, a CIA agent who uh, tasked with hunting him. 
immediately teaming up, because that's what happens when you hunt Morbius. Together, they battle the Hell Eyes. Morbius, Martine, and Stroud later battle vampires at the Mason Manor. Morbius will then go on to uh, join the team the Legion of Monsters, who will definitely have an episode of their own coming up, to investigate the appearance of the Star Seed, who is basically a golden man with a golden horse. Nice. Though Starseed is a benevolent entity, he's powered up by various things. We'll cover Starseed more in the actual Legion of Monsters episode. Uh, both the Werewolf by Night and Morbius are overcome by their monster's hungers and attack it. Ghost Rider and the Man-Thing attempt to intervene, but Starseed is unable to overcome his fear of the Man-Thing and suffers severe burns at his touch. Which makes very little <laughs> sense if you've never heard of the Man-Thing, but those who know fear, fear burn, burn at the, the touch, of the a touch of the Man-Thing. What a crazy monster. So looking forward to our Man-Thing episodes. <laughs> the dying Starseed attempts to cure the Legion of their monstrous forms, but is too weak and immediately dies. Morbius then visits his old scientist friend, Ronson Slade, in hope for a cure to his disease. Ronson, however, had become a werewolf, and Morbius kills him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Following another path that is a pretty common for Morbius stories. I'm going to visit old scientist numbers. You turned evil. How did you even die. become a vampire? <laughs> or a werewolf in this case. Where did you find that? <laughs> You're a botanist. <laughs> I don't know if Ronson Slade was a botanist, but like... You're a psychologist. How did you do that? <laughs> After Morbius and the Thing from the Fantastic Four battle the Living Eraser from Dimension Z, Morbius uses the Living Eraser's dimensional transportation devices to return to Earth. I only bring this one up because the Living Eraser is everything he sounds like. He is a man from Dimension Z who has a gun that sends you to Dimension Z, but the way that it works is it looks like someone is just erasing you. What? Like it runs the beam over your arm and your arm just looks like it's being erased, like like you're taking the back of a pencil and erasing it away. It is... I, I looked up some of the panels to like try and figure... Being like, the what now? And honestly, it's a really brilliant use of the comic book format, the way that they do it. It would look so dumb to do it in live action. No, I want to see it. I mean, sure, but... SpongeBob like, had an episode where he was erasing people. Why can't, why can't live action? <laughs> yes, because nothing translates to live action like SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> That's all I'm imagining because I haven't seen the panels. Jesus Christ. A robot, or I guess android, known as the Empathoid, wished to learn what it felt like to be a vampire. <laughs> yes. No, I don't know why. <laughs> That's amazing. He uses Morbius to attack Spider-Man, but Morbius resists. Spider-Man man manages to knock out Morbius, causing the Empathoid to leave his body and possess Spider-Man to battle Morbius from the other side. He leads him into a football stadium where the emotions of all the sports fans overwhelm the Empathoid, causing it to leave Spider-Man's body and pass out. Spider-Man allows Morbius to depart unharmed, considering that none of this was actually his fault. Good for him. Later on, Morbius meets rogue CIA agent Simon Stroud, who didn't... Wait, didn't we meet him already? Yeah, yep, we did. Okay, so he re-meets CIA agent Simon Stroud, and together they fight a group of new pseudo-vampires created by Morbius' infection. One of these pseudo-vampires infects Martine, turning her into a living vampire as well. Again. Thanks to Morbius' efforts, Martine is cured and the other pseudo-vampires destroyed. Morbius then flees, concluding he's still a danger to Martine. 
After this, he befriends desperate landover owner Alicia Twain, later avenging her murder, and battles Morgana St. Clair, an enzymatic vampire expert living in England who was a member of the satanic cult known as the Brotherhood of Judas. Morbius later enlists help in finding a cure for pseudo-vampirism from his old friend... Ron's... Nope, nope. That's all stuff that we've covered before. I'm sorry. I was putting this together for multiple biographies, and they had these in different timelines. The vampire episodes are getting hard. I'm having a rough time the last couple ones. <laughs> You're good. Well, that explains why he keeps killing werewolf scientists. During another battle with Spider-Man, Morbius is feeding on the hero when, uh, by complete random chance, he's hit by lightning at the exact same time. What? Yep. Morbius survives the lightning and discovers he's seemingly human once again. His appearance, sanity, and normal human traits are restored, though his blood disease has returned and he now requires frequent treatment and blood transfusions. While continuing to research how... Yep. <laughs> because... Well, I mean, this is actually shown from forever. Spider-Man's radioactive blood seems to put limits on his... Uh, uh, vampire. Yeah, on his living vampirizing. But struck by lightning. Electricity was involved in the electricity and vampire bats. Apparently, electricity plus vampire bats plus <laughs> equals Morbius the living vampire. <laughs> so. One of those is really important. <laughs> <laughs> um, take Spider-Man irradiated blood plus lightning plus D-bag equals just normal D-bag again. I, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> While continuing to research how to stabilize a full cure, Dr. Morbius agrees to stand trial for his several crimes over the years and hires attorney Jennifer Walters, who is the She-Hulk, but that wasn't publicly known at the time, uh, to defend him. Later, Morbius learns of Walters' status as the She-Hulk and that she suffers from sometimes erratic transformations. He gives her a serum based on his own research regarding his own condition, and Walters finds herself now able to change form at will, though with effort proving once again how incredibly brave Jen Walters is that she took literally anything that Morbius said he created himself. <laughs> You'd have to be... Also one. showing that his solution to everything, even post-being-living vampire, is still Here, untested inject, serums. Inject this into your body. <laughs> it only has a little bit of vampire blood, or uh, vampire bat blood this time. Man, I can't sleep. I have a solution. <laughs> More milk mixed with vampire bat blood and electroshock therapy. <laughs> In court, Walters argues that Morbius' crimes as the living vampire were due in large part to his medical condition, affecting his ability to reason while adding that most of Morbius' victims survived and were cured of pseudo-vampirism by the biochemist himself. Taking this into account, the court finds Morbius guilty of involuntary manslaughter rather than murder. Kind of going innocent by reason of insanity? Or not guilty by reason of insanity, but... Um, but still guilty. Just of a lesser charge. Yeah. You've, <laughs> you've still done a bunch of stuff, dude. <laughs> Though, Morbius is actually pretty willing at this point in his life to take responsibility, despite his still fondness for I mean, he did kill a, a boat full of people, so... <laughs> but he might have cured them again. Well, the ones that survived and turned to vampires he cured. But there's some that straight up just died on that boat. Yeah, no, there's... That's kind of... It's kind of, this was the period where they also tried to be like, the Hulk's never actually killed anybody. And you're like, I don't think I'm not that's... sure about that. <laughs> Were you there? 
He destroyed a lot of skyscrapers. (laughs) Just because we can't find the bodies. (laughs) That doesn't mean they don't exist. (laughs) For the next few years of his life, Morbius continues to research his disease while acting as a consultant to others. He becomes a really close friend to the werewolf Jack Russell and offers information to the Avengers that helps them on a case. Eventually, despite his effort, Morbius reverts to being a living vampire. Working alongside several allies, the sorcerer Doctor Strange is able to use... I did not put a, enough, like, a, a paragraph end between these two things, but he eventually become, returns to being a living vampire. Pause. Working alongside several allies, Doctor Strange is able to use the Montesai formula to banish all undead vampires from Earth's dimension. Morbius is unaffected because he is a scientific mutation and not a supernatural creature. Living vampire. Living vampire, yes. They put a lot of work into the phrase living in living vampires. They did. The only other vampire to be unaffected is Hannibal King. That's actually untrue because he required a complete blood transfusion and still almost died. However, for the next while, uh... Has there ever been a team-up of just all the science vampires? Do we have other science-specific big-name science vampires? Well, Hannibal King turned himself using non-normal vampiric methods because he was trying to do different stuff. And does Dr. Sun count? Dr. Sun is a man in a robot body powered by blood. Yes, if there's ever a science (laughs) vampire, that's it. That's him. (laughs) He also shoots beams, so... uh... Yeah, Dr. Sun is perfect. We will get to him in two episodes. (laughs) Years later, alongside the sorcerers and doctors both, Doctor Strange and Brother Voodoo, Morbius battles Marie Laveau and witnesses the return of true vampires to Earth's dimension. Which is a very subtle way of putting, because I have read this one and we will be reading it next week. Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of uh, New Orleans, kidnaps Morbius to try and force... To, to try and feed off of him. Because Marie Laveau kept, keeps her youth by drinking vampire blood. But there are no more vampires. So she tries to feed off Morbius and makes him revert even worse to being... It happens like every Friday for him. Yes. <laughs> He'd been doing pretty well for a while there, though. Probably because he didn't have anything to inject inside of himself. Uh, this will fall apart when Doctor Strange's brother is revived and turns into a vampire and she starts feeding off of him. We'll get to that next week in our Brother Blood episode. To be honest, it's not great, but we're going to read it anyways. I'm <laughs> excited. <laughs> Frustrated by his repeated failures to cure himself, Morbius takes refuge in the sewers of New York City and discovers a community of underground dwellers who offer to help him in exchange for protection, making them about the 15th group of people living in the sewers of New York City, including, but not limited to, the Morlocks, who are all the ugly mutants. <laughs> it's a big place. There's room for a lot of sewers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, more than the Ninja Turtles deal with. Comic book idea? Just simply title it New York Underground. Copyright us. <laughs> Someday I want to listen to the old, through the old episodes and just like write down every comic book idea we've come up with over the years. <laughs> the community brings Morbius, quote unquote, bad ones to feed on. And Morbius believes from their descriptions that these people brought to him are killers. After feeding on several victims, Morbius is confronted by Spider-Man who accuses him of becoming a serial killer. Initially being like, no, I'm just killing killers, which actually does not stop you from being a serial killer. It just means you have a specific specific victim type. Which is what a serial killer yeah, Which is Dexter. a significant part of being a serial killer. 
Morbius finds out that the underground community he's living with deems anyone who lives up on the surface world to be bad ones. So they've just been grabbing people from the streets. No, that's terrible. Brought you another bad one, Morbius. Thank you, thank you. What this one do? You know, he walked around in the sunshine. Oh, no. Oh, he went by the open manhole cover. What a jerk. Yeah. What vintage is this? Morbius, horrified to realize that he's a serial killer on top of already being a serial killer. Oops. Flees deeper into the sewers and falls deeper into his depression. He runs a lot. Yes. Also, at this point, he's circled back to the other side of depression. Like, it's just... Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Shortly at la- afterwards, Johnny Blaze and the new Ghost Rider, Daniel Ketch... Learned that Lilith, the mother of all demons, has returned to Earth's dimension and intends to lay waste to humanity with the help of her ghost... Not with the help of her ghost children, her normal children, the uh, the Lilin. And by normal children, I mean demons. Demons. Who will, may be ghosts at one point. We don't They're know. normal for her. Yes. <laughs> She's the mother of all demons. It's normal to have demons. Also Blackout, who's not normal nor good. <laughs> Stop complaining. And only like a quarter demon. Man, he might be worse than Morbius, actually. Like, I said Morbius was the worst, but Blackout is... I'll never forget. It's so bright. He's also kind of science vampire, but not quite. Oh my god, Morbius versus Blackout would be so much fun. I'm gonna bite you. Ow! (laughs) I'm gonna bite you I didn't burn my face, but this still backfired on me. (laughs) (laughs) The Ghost Rider experiences a vision of several individuals who are supposed to oppose the Lilith an alliance known as the Nine, or the Midnight Suns. Seeing that Morbius is one of the Midnight Suns, uh, Danny and Blaze track him down with the aid of Martine Bancroft and her ally, Dr. David Langford, a biochemist she hopes can cure Michael at last. Secretly, Langford is working with a villainous scientist named Dr. Payne, who intends to kill Morbius and then conduct research on his mutated body. Langford's quote-unquote cure will actually simply kill. Not knowing this and wishing to sabotage the efforts to help Morbius, Lilith sends one of her Lilin to use their own demonic blood to poison Langford's serum. I see Dr. Payne went to the Mephisto school of, if you're dead, then you're, you're not experiencing <laughs> symptoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to die from cancer? Cool, I'll just kill you my way. Fix that. <laughs> After a battle with Ghost Rider and Blaze, Morbius is subdued and taken to Langford's lab, where he's given the false cure. The result of Langford's serum mixed with demon blood, which, to be honest, if they just told him what it was, I feel like he would have tried it. He would have been like, wait, has this been tested? This is no, right no. up my alley. Don't even tell him what's in there to say, hey, this is a new serum we haven't tested. He's like, on it. <laughs> it involves blood. He's like, do I have to inject it? We're on. <laughs> yes, 100%. The result of Langford's serum mixed with demon blood, mixed with everything else he's injected into himself over the years, creates a new mutagenic agent, altering the living vampire's abilities and appearance, while also largely restoring his sanity and true personality. Give or take. Confused by his new state, Morbius seeks out his old friend and colleague, Dr. Jacob Weisenthal, a general practitioner. He is just burning through doctors, he knows. Meanwhile, Martine discovers Langford's treachery and he kills her. Morbius arrives moments later and feeds on Langford, and then realizing he feels no guilt over ending the life of a corrupt and remorseless killer, swears to just keep doing it. Good for him. Did he, we read that one? Yes, yes this is from Rise of the Midnight okay. Suns. That's what I thought. 
I was like, this sounds familiar. Uh, when Ghost Rider and Blaze arrive on the scene, Morbius explains the situation and says that he's not an enemy of the innocent. From now on, if he must feed on the living people, it will be the blood of the guilty. Villains who deserve to die. The Ghost Rider accepts this, warning Morbius that this vow may not be easy to follow. The Ghost Rider's like, if anyone I do that would know, anyways. it's Ghost Rider. He's like, <laughs> all right, I get it. I respect it. You're right up my alley. I think you're going to be bad at this. <laughs> But I'm going to let you give it a shot. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> See you later. Days later, Morbius and the other Midnight Suns. This is so strange. In the wiki, they describe it as hold their first official alliance meeting and join forces against Lilith. But as I remember, they're all sort of kidnapped and forced to fight Lilith. And at one point, they're trying to kill each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Despite his agreement to fight Lilith, Morbius is immediately looked upon with suspicion by the Midnight Suns known as the Night Stalkers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> they, the Night Stalkers make it abundantly clear that they could take on everyone else in the Midnight Suns. And be super happy about it. Yeah. Well, except for the Dark Old Redeemers. They'd be largely fine with them. Because there is people. The Midnight Stalk, the Night Stalkers. Midnight Stalkers. <laughs> the Night Stalkers being Hannibal King, Frank Drake, and Blade. So people who have already tried to kill Morbius at least once before. Oh, you tell me Blade doesn't like vampires? Oh, weird. <laughs> and this is Blade, I mean, we read this. This is Blade immediately out of the insane asylum. He's not doing great. And who did this? Oh, yeah, it was Doctor Strange. <laughs> About 30 seconds before he becomes Switchblade, which is not important to this. I just like reminding people that Switchblade exists. <laughs> it's amazing. Oof. <laughs> We're sorry you had to go through that, Blade. <laughs> <laughs> I still really want to read that crossover. It's not supposed to be good. Also, it still blows my mind that Frank Drake is part of the team that could take on the rest of them. <laughs> and he somehow, again, it's, we've made fun of Frank Drake a lot. We're going to make fun of Frank Drake a lot more over the next two or three episodes. Somehow the coolest Frank Drake is when he wears a poofy shirt and looks like the cover of a romance novel. He's got the French frills and the gun. <laughs> <laughs> well... I lost like, call me Fabio Drake. <laughs> Fabio. I lost a wife again and clearly had another meltdown. Awesome now. Where's Ooh, my gun? Big gun. <laughs> that I named after the girl from The Exorcist? <laughs> yeah. When we read that, I did not understand the scale of what a wild character shift that was. Mm, me either. Over the next year, Morbius confronts several new foes, all with awesome 90s names, including the aforementioned Dr. Thaddeus Payne, the Second Basilisk, Vic Slaughter, and Bloodbath. During his first battle with Vic Slaughter and his team, the Hard Cases, Martine Bancroft's tombstone is damaged by gunfire. Pissed off, Morbius kills the hard cases and drains Slaughter of some of his blood, but then buries the villain alive rather than killing him outright. That's rude. Morbius leaves, believing his bite no longer infects people with partial pseudo-vampirism. I don't know why he believes that. I've seen no evidence whatsoever. He's like, well, the person I killed didn't come back. And I'm like, that's never been the... The people you kill never come back. It's the people you don't kill. Like, the guy you buried... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm yelling at Morbius for a comic that happened 30 years ago. Didn't this man, like, graduate from some prestigious college? He won a Nobel Prize! I bit him, and he came back to life. I bit this guy, and he didn't. I guess nothing comes back to life, and I bite now. (laughs) Scientific method has been achieved. (laughs) However, that's not the case. Uh, And the infection is actually more powerful than it used to be. Vic Slaughter rises from near death as a new living vampire with abilities equal to Morbius. 
Despite not being trusted by many of them, Morbius continues to join the Midnight Suns in battles against evil when they need his help. He also aids Spider-Man, Venom, the Black Hat, and the various other superheroes, including Deathlock and Captain America. Oh, nice. In a battle against the Spree Killers, Carnage and Shriek during the Maximum Carnage Crisis. During a battle with the dream-empowered villain Nightmare, Morbius learns that his new mutation due to demon blood has made him immortal in the traditional sense, meaning he can die from injury but no longer ages. Soon afterward, Blade the Vampire Slayer is influenced by outside forces and becomes the corrupted Switchblade. I knew we were going to come back to it. I still just, every time. He kills several allies, including Morbius. However, Blade is cured of his possession and his victims magically are restored, including Morbius. From uh. Dr. P- I know, right? If we could have just been done. From Dr. Payne, Morbius learns that his blood disease is not in full remission and will eventually still kill him, despite constantly feeding on fresh blood and his otherwise impressive regenerative abilities. So he's immortal, cannot die of old age, can be murdered, and can die from his rare degenerative blood disease. Good for him. No wonder he's always pissed off. I'm talking about Aristotle. <laughs> With the help from Jacob Weisenthal, Morbius researches how to at least alleviate his condition if a cure is impossible. With newly obtained samples of Spider-Man's blood, Morbius and Weisenthal create an antiviral serum that restores his human form for several hours at a time. Now able to operate for at least some of the day as a normal human, Morbius creates a cover identity of Dr. Morgan Michaels and attains a job as a hematologist at St. Jude's Memorial Hospital in New York. As a hematologist, Morbius is able to steal collected blood donations to briefly alleviate his bloodlust in between feeding on living people. Though, he preser- though the preservatives and anticoagulants used with donated blood means it will poison the living vampire if he ingests too much. He also attains a hyperbolic chamber and dialysis equipment, allowing him to oxygenate his blood and cleanse his system as he sleeps. Interesting. Which I guess is as close as you can get to keeping this under control. But uh, as it mentioned there, he doesn't stop murdering this whole time. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he go in for electroshock therapy? Wouldn't that? Partially... Spidey, Spidey, let me bite you again. <laughs> While you're fighting electro, odds are it'll happen. <laughs> He'll just get like a car battery, like clamp it on, and then rise. Doesn't and even have to get Spidey to help him. Convince Max Dillon, Electro, to team up. Electro's pretty dumb. It'd be easy to convince him it's time to kill Spider-Man. It's a Tuesday. Buy him a beer and he'll try it. Like, (laughs) Oh, boy. Jack Russell tracks Morbius to St. Jude's, offering to help the man learn how to live with his newest mutation rather than attempt to fight it. Morbius refuses this viewpoint, arguing that being a living vampire is a curse he should not accept. Even though he's been just actively trying to accept it for a while now. Later, fearing his condition is worsening, Morbius attempts to cure himself with necrotechnology used by the Night Stalkers. But this doesn't work. Morbius also attempts feeding on the blood of the vampire Hannibal King to see if it affects him, only to discover his blood simply rejects vampire blood since it's already lifeless. Huh, I don't have any more ideas. Hey, Hannibal, get over here. (laughs) Can I just uh, suck on your neck a little bit? (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Sucking on radioactive blood has helped me before. Be less of a vampire. What if I drank vampire blood? To become less of... It would cancel out the vampire bat blood that I keep injecting on myself on weekends. <laughs> what could go wrong? At the hospital, Morbius meets and is romantically pursued by Mandy Tyler, the executive administrative assistant of the hospital's hematology department. Mandy later learns of Morbius's true nature and tells him she accepts it. 
On a date, Mandy reveals she is part of a private fetish club whose members emulate vampires by drinking blood. So she more than accepts it. She just hit payday. That was written? She just hit wanna bang it payday. It was a thing in the 90s. People were really scared of wannabe vampires. Remember, the satanic panic has been with us since the 70s to varying degrees. But, like, I haven't read a modern comic that's like, oh, yeah, it's my fetish. I mean, I could I could get you those. <laughs> I know, but, like, it just, that just blows my mind. <laughs> like, in the 90s, it's like, yeah. There's the, there's the group of wannabe vampires and Preacher. Yeah. Goes about as well for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Morbius is involved. <laughs> Morbius meets the club's leader, Brian DeWolf. Formerly the vigilante known as the Wraith and brother of Gene DeWolf, the cop friend of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Not important other than I spent a while going, DeWolf, I know that name. <laughs> Brian is secretly using psionic powers to turn the club members into followers who will perform terrorist acts against the NYPD. With the cyborg Deathlock, Morbius halts the vampire cult from committing a terrorist bombing and then kills Brian. I'm sorry, do you not understand how the 90s works yet? <laughs> it went from, I work at the hospital, hey, I like you, oh, you're my kink, uh, and now I'm in a terrorist fake vampire cult. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Okay. Okay. Probably over the course of, like, two issues, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is, like, two, I was thinking condensed one. <laughs> storytelling time. Oh, the first half is one, the second half is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to traces of Lilin blood still in Morbius' body, the spirit of a Lilin called Bloodthirst begins guiding the living vampire's mind. Bloodthirst influences Morbius to use the Darkhold, because that goes so well for everyone, a book of corrupt magic to resurrect Martine Bancroft. Morbius then realizes this was a scheme by the Lilin, who used Martine's body so that one of their own, a being called Parasite, may now have a body of their own. Huh. Bloodthirst then makes full possession of Morbius' body, and attacks the other Midnight Suns with the help of Martine slash Parasite. With help from Doctor Strange, Morbius reasserts control over his own body. To defeat Parasite, Morbius then kills Martine's body, forcing the Lilin spirit out of her form so it can be destroyed. Later, Martine's true spirit is revived and restored to her body, but the resurrection process leaves her undead, unable to feel touch. She also claims to lack her full ability to experience emotions, including the love she used to have for Michael. Martine moves into Morbius' home, but becomes frustrated by her new condition. Soon afterward, Morbius expels the traces of Lilin blood in his body, so the demon Bloodthirst can't influence him further. Bloodthirst is able to manifest a new vampiric body for himself, and seriously injures both Jacob and Mandy before Morbius finally destroys him. Morbius decides to distance himself from Mandy in order to protect her. Again. So his ex-girlfriend, who he brought back to life, his ex-fiancée, was living with him while he was dating the woman that was like, not only do I not want you to cure your thing, I want you to eat people in front of me. Ugh. <laughs> 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 this is largely supposed to be a family-friendly podcast, but man, Morbius makes it hard sometimes. What a weird boy. <laughs> <laughs> Morbius later encounters Lena Ivana, a woman kidnapped from her home in Eastern Europe and then forced into sex work in New York City. After freeing her, Morbius becomes enamored with Lena. In contrast, she fears Morbius after seeing him how quickly he kills criminals. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the wow. only sane person in this entire thing. <laughs> and I include my beloved Spider-Man in that instance. 
Despite this, Morbius hopes to see her again and suggests to Lena that she seeks medical treatment from Dr. Morgan Michaels, a.k.a. Michael Morbius. Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> Unaware that this is the living vampire who frightens her, Lena finds herself drawn to Dr. Michaels. Lena then takes a job at St. Jude's Med Memorial Hospital as well, working in the morgue and seeing Dr. Michaels often. I don't know, man. It's probably the most normal thing he's done. Martine Bank... <laughs> Trying to set up a Lois Lane love triangle going down? Yeah. You know what? Actually, morgue. I agree. <laughs> Martine becomes obsessed with having her humanity restored and accuses her former lover of stealing her emotions and dismissing her from his life. Morbius points out that Martine's changed attitude and lack of love for him can't be due to a lack of emotions because she clearly is pissed off. Hey. He feels anger, resentment, hope, frustration, and envy. Though he promises to continue searching for a way to cure her of being undead, he says that he and Martine cannot resume a relationship due to their feelings for each other changing. A.K.A. she hates him now. After fighting Morbius and then hurling herself through a window, Martine leaves but rents a nearby apartment so she can continue spying on her former lover. She then begins a casual romantic relationship with Jack Russell, the werewolf by night. <laughs> it is the most soap opera-y. Just everything. I don't like sleeping with vampires, but that werewolf... <laughs> Lena Ivana's influence leads Morbius to reconsider his vow to only feed on the guilty, realizing that he doesn't actually look that deeply into whether they're guilty or if they just need help or can be reformed. <laughs> now he realizes this. I've killed a lot of people. Immediately was like, that was a purse snatcher. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't know why he snatched. Like, I'm not saying it's good to snatch purses, but like. Maybe I shouldn't have ate him. I could have thought this through. <laughs> well, that's a, maybe I shouldn't ate him. Wow. <laughs> that's extreme. He decides it's better to just not feed and simply allow himself to die rather than continuing to attempt to justify murder. Back in depression. Yes. The heroin addict, uh, he's at one of the low points again. Realizing that his friend intends suicide, Jack Russell confronts Morbius and they fight. Weakened by the fight and a lack of blood for several days, Morbius is then exposed to the rising sun and quickly burns. Jacob Weisenthal arrives and administers his latest attempt at a cure for Morbius's mutation, but the pseudo-vampire seemingly dies. Jacob and Jack Russell arrange for a midnight burial attended by the Midnight Suns, Martine and Lena. Possibly thanks to Jacob's latest antiviral serum, Morbius suddenly heals and regains consciousness, rising from the grave. Now at this point, he's not just in... in Injecting himself with random serums. Other people are just showing up and injecting him with random serums just to see what'll happen. <laughs> no antivirals work till now, but let's give it a shot again. As a result of Jacob's serum, Morbius seems to lose his bloodlust and only temporarily achieves a partial vampiric appearance every night at midnight. Jacob becomes alarmed that Morbius is experiencing blackouts again and may be feeding without realizing it. But Michael insists he's cured and continues pursuing Lena romantically. Enraged with jealousy, Martine meets with Lena and tells her that Dr. Morgan Michaels is actually the living vampire Michael Morbius. Right? <laughs> Feeling betrayed, Lena ditches. Morbius then realizes he's experiencing bloodlust again and losing his reasons as he regains his full vampiric appearance. After blacking out, Morbius realizes he's attacked and fed on a random person. Jacob's latest cure has only made him once again a monster who loses reason and sanity when he feels a need to feed, putting him back to square one. No longer able to maintain any kind of morality or any vow to feed only on the blood of the guilty, 
Driven by his hunger and is once again a danger to anyone around him, Morbius abandons his Michael Morgan Michael's identity and leaves behind Jacob and St. Jude's in Memorial Hospital. Though Jacob's serum didn't cure him of pseudo-vampirism, it evidently put his blood disease back into remission, as it's never mentioned again that the disease is still killing him. So one positive. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> for him, I guess. <laughs> After Michael's disease takes a new course and his hunger starts to come faster than before, he goes to Empire State University looking for Dr. Andrea Janssen, but was stopped by Spider-Man, though he does manage to bite some blood off of him and calm his hunger before escaping. Morbius arrived at Dr. Andrea's office in the science building of the Empire State University and explained to her how the feeding satiated his hunger for shorter periods of time. Spider-Man arrives once again and doesn't believe Morbius, claiming that he likes being a living vampire. Which, honestly, sometimes at least, yes. The two fight, and Morbius is about to kill the hero. He's like, you would never believe it, but some chicks are into this. <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe the story, but... <laughs> I've got my own black cat. <laughs> Morbius is about to kill the hero, but he's stopped by Mary Jane Watson, who tells him that he should show that he's willing to fight the hunger. I guess that's all it takes. Andrea claims that she'd help him and brought him a package of blood so that he didn't have to kill which Michael accepts. Actually, though, Andrew is working for a scientist was working for a scientist who is also a hydrant agent, Dr. Loxius Crown, who kidnaps Morbius to study him. Spider-Man comes to his rescue, but when he frees Morbius, Morbius attacks Crown. As they grapple, the island around them begins to explode. In the resulting explosion, Morbius drains Crown of his blood. This later leads Crown to becoming a living vampire like Morbius called Hunger they briefly tried to make a big deal in the 90s and then dropped. I mean, it'll come up again. But like, I've read those issues. It just stops being a thing. Quit trying to make hunger a thing. <laughs> also, during this time, Morbius will bite Blade, turning him into Daywalker, like we mentioned already. During the Superhuman Civil War, Morbius registers under the Superhuman Registration Act, which is weird to me that they're like, who are you? <laughs> All right, we'll put you on a team, I guess. <laughs> He's sent by S.H.I.E.L.D. to convince Blade to register. Sometime after this... We're gonna send Morbius to Blade. <laughs> Blade won't sign up? Best case scenario, Blade signs up. Other best case scenario, Blade kills Morbius. It's a win-win. Best best case scenario, they kill each other. S.H.I.E.L.D. don't gotta deal with this no more. <laughs> Sometime after this, once again suicidal and searching for a way to end his life, he travels to San Francisco, where he takes to living in an abandoned church frequented by young drug addicts. Not noticing, like him, all of the irony. <laughs> While he attempts to go without feeding, one of the addicts, Roxy, who Morbius related to the most, overdoses and was going to die, which led her boyfriend to plead with Morbius to turn her. Roxy has been gone too long without breathing when Morbi Morbius feeds on her. When she comes back, she has brain damage from the lack of oxygen, which renders her feral and only interested in feeding. Morbius watches as she kills two of her companions and only stepped in when the last of them, who had shown him kindness and compassion, was to become Roxy's victim. Morbius kills Roxy by breaking her neck and left Gilly, her victim, alone and terrified. So, to summarize that, I'm going to go live with the drug addicts. I'm going to turn the one drug addict I like into a vampire. Whoops, she's brain dead. She's just a feral. Oh, she killed everyone. Oh, I guess I should stop her. Eventually. Cool, you survived this. I'm going to take off now. Bye! <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. 
Michael works with Armor, an offshoot of S.H.I.E.L.D. that is uh, devoted to dealing with creepy crawlies and will be dealing with in a later episode. An organization tasked with keeping an eye on extra-dimensional activity on the planet. Creepy crawlies. As such, when a crossover with the zombie-infected universe occurs in Man-Thing Swamp, uh, he's dispatched to investigate. However, it's revealed that Morbius has been inca incapacitated and replaced within the organization by a zombified, extra-dimensional version of himself. So I guess now the undead, living, unliving vampire? Yes. Morbius the somehow more annoying than he was before? How long this had been the case is not clear. A member of armor comes in to check on the zombie Morbius and finds the real Morbius, but was then bitten by the zombie Morbius, which incites a zombie plague. When Morbius is able to move again, he sneaks behind his zombie counterpart and drives a stake through his heart, turning him into ashes. Huh. Which I guess is... Works on living... I, you know what? It's a living vampire and a zombie. I don't know if he turned to ashes, but stakes of the heart works on most people. I'd say most things, yeah. After the zombie plague is taken care of, it's discovered that the zombie Simon Garth and the head of Deadpool's zombie counterpart have escaped. Morbius gathers the Midnight Suns, a new version of them, to search for Deadpool and Simon Garth and dispose of anything infected with the zombie plague. This is the uh, Deadpool variant known as Headpool, which is a zombie head of Deadpool, that's got one of those little helicopter hats that actually works. Which is amazing. <laughs> it's the only part of the Marvel, zo Marvel Zombies like sideline that I actually enjoy. Morbius is working on a cure for the zombie virus, but is unable to find it, as the virus's genetic code was too complicated to decipher. Morbius finds a plane storm has opened a gateway to alternate realities, which is the most Magic the Gathering thing I have possibly <laughs> ever heard. Each of them had a different zombie virus, and the only way to decipher his home reality's virus was to compare it with the other zombie viruses. Morbius takes some equipment from armor and sends Howard the Duck and Machine Man to the alternate realities to bring him a sample of each virus. Sometime later, the director of armor, Charles Littlesky, discovers Morbius' plans in the missing armor tech and puts him under arrest. Later, Morbius, alongside Werewolf and the Man-Thing, reformed the Legion of Monsters while adding as new members the Living Mummy and Manphibian. They work on an underground city located beneath Manhattan called the Monster Metropolis, where they vow to protect monsters that were hunted down. After the Punisher is killed by Dakin, son of Wolverine, the Legion take Frank's body and Morbius resurrects him as a Frankenstein-like creature to help them against the Hunter of Monsters Special Forces, led by the mysterious Hellsguard, who killed monsters for not being of God. Frankencastle, the zombie... That actually his name? Frankencastle, yes. Yes, Frankencastle. I am not sure if Frankencastle is going... He might get his own episode of, like, we'll just read that storyline because it's just balls to the wall insane. What a name. It was the only time the Punisher has been interesting <laughs> in the 21st century. Because Frank Castle. Like, what's his monster name? Frankencastle. <laughs> Look, man, uh, Rick Remender gets bored. Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> Cosmic Ghost Rider is awesome. <laughs> So it turns out Frank Castle is interesting when he's not being Frank Castle. <laughs> oh, weird. Frank is later turned into a human again and leaves left the Legion while Morbius becomes the leader in Monster Metropolis and tries to institute law with the Legion of Monsters serving as deputies. Morbius and Manphibian later arrest the Dimensional Man for feeding off of sleeping monsters in Monster Metropolis. They capture him with a special machine that blocks his powers. Michael then takes the criminal to his lab where he would send him to a containment cell to serve his sentence before being interrupted by a severe power surge. 
Elsa Bloodstone appears in their city while she's chasing a trail of mysterious monsters that kill many people. Morbius, realizing that someone or something was using a supernatural virus to control monsters, and asks Bloodstorm for help. This virus spread through Monster Metropolis, and after a visit with Dracula, Morbius and Elsa eventually discover that the virus was actually in Morbius's own blood. In despair, Michael thought about destroying the entire city with a bomb. Look, to be fair, Morbius has injected himself with so many things. There's a lot of things hiding in his blood. Every time he tries to do an antiviral, I feel like he's just putting different viruses in it. Like, he doesn't actually understand what anti means. <laughs> so, like, the CDC has those little banks of every known disease known to man. Morbius is just a walking representation of that wherever he goes. Little did we know, Jimmy Hoffa, actually in Morbius's blood. <laughs> Uh, considers destroying the city with a bomb until Bloodstone frees the dimensional man from his imprisonment whose leeching powers sucked up the virus and caused him to go mad. Matter. Morbius later understood that he was able to control those if affected as he was the origin of the virus, saving Monster Metropolis in the process. Later, he secretly joins Horizon Labs with the help of his old friend Max Modal, who is in charge of the lab. He took the identity of Number Six, and in a hazmat suit to protect his true identity, assists Mr. Fantastic in preparing the cure to the spider powers virus. A woman known as the Queen infects the city of New York with a virus that initially turns them into Spider-Man-like people with spider powers, but later transforms them into giant spiders. Oh. Spider Island is actually a great crossover book. I love Spider Island. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> yes, it's bonkers. When Peter Parker tries to investigate the identity of the mysterious number six, he's called that because each member of Horizon has their own private lab. Gotcha. And he was in the sixth lab. Gotcha. He accidentally provokes Morbius, who's been using the cure to try to develop a basis for a cure for his own condition. Morbius was driven to leave when it's revealed that he's been working with the lizard. Again. He'd been trying to find a cure for both of their conditions. He used DNA samples from the corpse of Doc Connor's son, Billy, to create a cure that would restore the lizard to human form, but he failed to recognize that the lizard had fully destroyed Doc Connor's human persona. They left the lizard alone in Morbius' lab, allowing the lizard to release blood into the laboratory's air vents to provoke the injured Morbius into attacking other scientists. Morbius fle flees the laboratory, with Spider-Man following. Morbius is captured by Spider-Man and locked up in a cell in the raft. When Peter Parker's mind is transferred into Dr. Octopus's dying body, he organizes a group of prisoners at the raft to capture Spider-Man, who now contains Doc Ock's mind. Doc Ock does a mind swap. Doc Ock's mind is in Spider-Man. Peter Parker's mind is in Doc Ock's dying body. Oh. This is the basis to Superior Spider-Man. Gotcha. During the breakout, Morbius offered to help, but is refused. He chooses to work with the lizard instead. The cells turn off, and Morbius escapes from the raft. Morbius swims all the way to Barreto Point, where he meets a man named Justin that he borrowed some clothes from. Justin tells Michael that he should go to Brownsville, where superheroes are not even heard of. During his first nights on Brownsville, Morbius quickly realizes the streets were filled with crime. While digging through traps for food, Morbius is approached by a young man that tried to steal his wallet earlier and was working for Noah St. Germain, who threatened the living vampire. The two end up having a fight in the subway, which left Morbius mortally wounded with a gunshot wound in the chest even after saving St. Germain's life from an upcoming train. Morbius then kills Noah and his gang. After killing the Godfather of Brownsville and inciting a gang war with The Rose, who is a man with a white suit and a weird purple mask that's like a least, less interesting version of Zemo's mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
After the Battle of Brownsville, he escapes to Manhattan, to Horizon Labs, to finally cure his vampirism. Finally. Cure. In quotes. <laughs> Morbius works with the new superior Spider-Man, a.k.a. Doc Ock, in Spider-Man's body. Morbius finds out the Rose had an ultimate nullifier in Brownsville and teamed up with the Legion of Monsters. Morbius then kills the Rose. The ultimate nullifier being something no one on this level should have is a device that could kill Galactus, but also will kill whoever uses it. Why do they just have that? I don't know. Where did they get it? We actually almost read this series instead, but I like Vita Ayala as a writer better than the other option. During Carnage's rampage with his cult of Null, Michael is recruited by Iron Fist along with some other heroes in order to rescue Misty Knight, who's stuck in the sewers being chased by Demogoblin and the Carnage Hive. The heroes enter the sewers and looking for Misty Knight, with Morbius fighting off many of Carnage's symbiote minions. After a long time fighting the waves of symbiotes, Morbius ponders the idea that Misty may have died already, but this was quickly shut down when the team found her as she was about to be killed by Demogoblin and the Manwolf. Good old Demogoblin. The Manwolf being the son of J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah. Morbius then convinces Manwolf to free himself from Carnage's control in order to save Misty Knight from Demogoblin. The heroes were later taken away from the sewers by Cloak. Morbius is later brought back to the fight in order to help turn the tide against Carnage's horde. In Greenpoint, Brooklyn, Morbius stops the Milter and his henchmen from experimenting on people, brutally beating almost all of them, and later deciding to use their stolen resources to create another formula that at first seemed to completely cure his hunger, but within a page, returns it at an accelerated rate of his body deepening as his body deepened into his vampirism. With his affliction made stronger, Michael ate all of the blood bag he had in his makeshift lab before looking into a microscope to see how his cells have mutated further and are starting to consume him. And also make him look pretty sweet as more of a man-bat. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. After his discovery, Morbius is attacked in his hideout by Milter and a mysterious woman. As he fights the two and was brutally beaten, Morbius also fought his desire to consume their blood. He eventually realized that the mysterious woman is Elizabeth Nikos, sister of, the best friend of his best friend Emil Nikos and his, the person he friend-zoned way back as, when he was a teenager whose uh, Elizabeth is out to revenge against the living vampire for the death of her brother. As Michael's rage grows, Elizabeth creates a huge explosion, severely, uh, severely weakening Morbius, but also allowing him to escape. He later breaks into a facility to work on a cure, but is stopped by Spider-Man. After a brief fight with the hero, Morbius manages to get some blood off of Spider-Man in order to control himself, and explains the hero's new condition. The two then went to Kirk Connors's, Connors' summer home, where they actually first met, in Long Island, so they could work on a cure for Michael, who asks Spider-Man for some blood so they can reverse the effect of his mutated cells. The cure restores Morbius to his previous condition, though he's still unsatiated as he didn't... He's still unsatisfied, sorry, as it didn't make him human again. Elizabeth breaks into the house and attacks the two. As Nikos keeps forcing his hand, Morbius loses control once again and starts to mutate into a less human creature. Michael eventually agrees with her and begs Elizabeth to kill him, but she takes too long and his final mutation manifests before he can be killed. Morbius attacks Elizabeth, but is, let, but is stopped by Spider-Man, who let him get some of his blood so, that he, so his changes get reversed again. Let him get some of his blood. Spider-Man shoves his arm into his mouth. <laughs> I mean, it worked. Nikos then revealed to them that Melter took Michael's research and was going to use it on other humans. The three decide to have an, a truce in order to create an antidote for the infected using some of Elizabeth's blood, which, for some reason, works. Blood has a lot of powers in the Marvel Universe. 
Morbus and the others then go back to Melter's hideout in Greenpoint in order to stop him. Michael fought a mutated Melter, while Spider-Man and Nikos fight the other mutated humans. Morbius used the antidote on Melter, but it wasn't working as the villain altered the original formula. He then went to Melter's lab and adjusted the cure in incredibly quick speeds to a new formula which proved to be successful. Morbius also used the same base serum to return to his original non-mutated vampire form and cure the other creatures that got away. The next night, Michael is visited by Elizabeth while working on a cure for the infected. Elizabeth decides to uh, let go of her revenge, though she still couldn't forgive him, deciding to cut all toys with him before leaving. Somewhere down in Mintown, Morbius is spotted with biting a whole new number of victims before being confronted by Spider-Man. The two battle before Morbius seemingly flees the scene. Unsuspecting, Spider-Man investigated the victims before being caught by surprise and being bitten. This is also not Peter Parker Spider-Man, but Ben Riley Spider-Man, who is the clone of Spider-Man. Morbius claims that his blood was not working, meaning that he tried to use it to cure himself. Morbius later chases Spider-Man all the way to the Beyond Tower. Uh, Beyond is a super evil mad scientist company that was tricking Spider-Man into working into him. It's a whole big thing that was going down. Morbius later chased Spider-Man all the way to the Beyond Tower, where the security systems there attacked him and blasted one of his arms off. Spider-Man faints due to the effect of the bite, and Morbius fights off Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, who finally immobilize him with a spider-like mechanical straitjacket. Beyond later experiments on Michael, stabilizing his condition in order to take a genetic sample from him and merge it with a sample of the lizard to create a giant vampire lizard clone called Creature Z. After being rescued from captivity by the Daughters of the Dragon, the aforementioned Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, Morbius made the creature consume his blood to break the balance between the lizard and vampire halves, making Creature Z's regenerative abilities go out of control and killing it. After seeing what Beyond did by themselves with both of their DNAs, Morbius returns to Satin Island facility to convince an imprisoned lizard into working together. And that's where we leave Dr. Michael Morbius. What a wild ride. So much blood. Thank Christ. So many needles. <laughs> People <laughs> laugh when I say heroin addict, but they don't understand how 100% no, that's exactly serious and on the nose I, I am with that description. Let's take a quick break, and uh, when we get back, we will discuss the first appearance and one of the latest appearances of Morbius the Living Vampire. Okay, so, for our readings here, we did Morbius the Living Vampire by Vita Ayala. It's the most recent Morbius solo series, as well as the Six Arm Saga, so Amazing Spider-Man 100 through 102, which um, was the first appearance of Morbius, and then the most recent appearance of Morbius that wasn't going to require us to read a whole ton of backstory to mm -hmm. understand what was happening. In some ways, that was the perfect, like, follow-up for that first story, because it, it's kind of a bookend. Which... I actually read them backwards, <laughs> just <laughs> for whatever reason, but, uh, yeah. So, I had thought this was a complete miniseries. It turns out there was supposed to be at least three more issues to this story, but this was coming out when uh, COVID first hit, and the comic book company shut down. See, when we were going into it, you warned us that it was incomplete because of COVID, and I was expecting, like, a total cliffhanger. I would not have known. This it, was... Luckily, it least finishes the arc that mm -hmm. they're on. It's just that there's obvious there's supposed to be more, including the, like, 
next issue and they show the cover and you're like, no, nope. guess not. We never get them. <laughs> Admittedly picked this mostly off the strength of the front cover in some ways. And that I thought that uh, Elizabeth looked cool in her like wannabe Van Helsing, <laughs> but like Van Helsing, the movie from the early mm-hmm. 2000s look. Awesome movie. No, <laughs> no, but yes, but yes, <laughs> no, but you're correct. Yes. <laughs> you're wrong, but you're right. What do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about, I guess we should talk about the six arm saga first because it takes place chronologically. And I have left to say about the six arm saga. It is the farthest back we have gone for reading comics. Cause I think that that would have been amazing. Spider-Man 100. That would have been like 1970. Gotcha. Give or take a couple of years. So I ran into it and I started reading it and I'm like, this seems really familiar. And then I was like, oh yeah, they did a decent adaptation of this in the Spider-Man animated series. Somehow, I didn't realize the Six-Arm Saga was where he first appeared. I knew that cover and my brain just, just skipped past it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually, in its own way, unintentionally an extremely important spot in Spider-Man. If you look at like the written by, it's three issues. The first issue is written by Stan Lee. The second issue is plotted by Stan Lee written, uh, scripted by Roy Thomas, and then the third issue is just written by Roy Thomas. Stan Lee started this storyline and went, okay. Eh. And anytime Stan Lee went, eh, he just gave it to Roy Thomas. That's how Roy Thomas got Avengers. That's how he got X-Men. Well, if we're, if we're starting at 100, it makes sense that it was Stan Lee. Of course, Stan is going to do, is going to, uh-huh. Do the outline for issue 100. Well, I mean, he wrote 100. It's right, 101 right. where he did the uh, outline and decided he was bored. Um, I think this is shortly after John Romita left, too, which Romita and Lee had a long run together on Spider-Man. That is, I like Gil Kane as an artist, the guy who was write, uh, drawing these, and he had the Marvel house style down pat, but... Romita kind of defined the Marvel house style for a while there. What I think we should bring up is something that Mac pointed out in our group texts, and it's that uh, <laughs> Morbius's go-to move is the backhand. And considering he's a heroin addict. But I actually, as soon as you said that, though, I wanted to actually bring that up on a more serious note in the fact that Morbius is kind of one of the lesser used characters that still has a very signature style to how he's drawn. Mm -hmm. All the artists might put their own spin on their art, but he ends up in the same poses every time. Spider-Man is actually another character just like that. No matter who draws Spider-Man, he's going to be doing about... Especially post-Todd McFarlane. Especially post-Todd McFarlane. But if you're drawing Spider-Man, like... 60% 60% of your panels are him with his back arched, looking over and doing something slightly behind him. Mm-hmm. In much the same way, Morbius has a very distinctive visual style where he's doing a lot of flailing. Yes. <laughs> he just happens to flail with vampire strength. It is 100% issue 101's cover, that one where he's backhanding Spider-Man down the stairs. It's, I don't like Morbius. I don't know if you've picked up on this. It's no. one of the great Spider-Man covers. I read it backwards as well. I read the modern and then the old. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, he's backhanding Spider-Man a lot. And then I saw that <laughs> panel. I was like, 
why? <laughs> At first I was like, is it because he's strong? He's the one that actually hit Spider-Man and kill him? I was like, it's Spider-Man. It shouldn't matter. I wonder if there's some vampire symbology that I'm not getting there, like in one of the movies or something of like a backhand being a thing. No, I think it's just that Morbius is a crap fighter that <laughs> flails a lot. He just happens to have vampire strength. I'm also going to say the exquisite sense of melodrama. <laughs> exactly. That does and what's it. more just dramatic than like a backhand. putting your head up into the air with one hand over your eyes and backhanding someone at the other time? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Also, oh, my life is so hard. Go away. <laughs> Where's my fix? <laughs> Come back. I need my fix. <laughs> I need to feed. Spider Man, just let me let me just suck on your arm a little bit. I just just a little bit. Really, the biggest. Okay, two things. One, I always forget what a jerk Spider Man was in the late '60s, <laughs> early '70s. He's bad. He's got such a chip on his shoulder that we're not used to seeing. We're used to kind of like innocent sweet boy Peter Parker now. Forgetting that like the sass was not only Spider-Man oriented back in the day. Mm -hmm. And the sass was a lot meaner in some of the earlier stuff. Is bit deep. Uh, also sexist. But again, Stanley. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to like the time the period in general. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, turns out romance comics in the 70s or romance plot lines didn't always go great. Weird. Yeah. Oh, would have thought. Maybe the 60s. I'm not 100% sure when those came out. I will say the thing I enjoyed about this is literally this is the story of three doinks who can't stop injecting themselves with various serums. At 100%. least Spider-Man only does it in this plot line. And that that trip he has when he's like undergoing that's actually pretty good. The yeah, like nightmare like, scene that is most of issue one hundred. His dead <laughs> Uncle Ben speaking to him from the sun. <laughs> so good. This isn't so much on Morbius, and I shouldn't judge so hard based off of a character showing up in somebody else's solo book. But people also need to kind of get a handle on just how nerdy. Peter is supposed to be because he of all the heroes he looks at blood probably more than most of them and then in that Ayala story he like looks in the microscope and he's like well even I know that's not right and I'm like bro I know you're not a hematologist but you've been working with <laughs> Kurt Connors for years yeah. <laughs> since like issue five of his solo series I mean Lizard is one of the first Spider-Man villains to be created yeah I'm also, like, old school 60s lizard looks doofy. It does. I'm just like, you should really know what you're looking at right now. <laughs> that's so long. It shouldn't be, even I know that that's not good. It's like, oh, look, I can see that this is doing this because I'm Spider-Man and I've been looking at this stuff my entire life since I turned into a Spider-Man. His reaction and was... And probably before, yeah. Peter Parker's the guy that would have drawn his own blood to yeah. like... Check it out. He should have looked into the microscope and his first reaction would be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Stop doing this. You did what now? The oh. artist also really enjoyed the uh, one eye almost closed on the Spider-Man face. Yeah. To the point where I'm like, do you just want to draw Domino? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. It's always interesting when people, obviously we have now jumped forward to the, the mm -hmm. recent series. It's always interesting when people use the Spider-Man eyes extremely visually. Extremely I like them being used, but like there's an, there's an extent where I'm like that. Now that just looks weird. Calm it down, man. Calm it down. <laughs> um, the, this modern comic, was it called old wounds? Um, 
when you, we first met Morbius in the Spider-Man comics, it there wasn't a lot to play with. There's just, oh, he's a vampire, but not. I think, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm pretty sure that it was the first time they introduced vampires in Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. And, like, the living vampire was kind of their workaround. Because of the... The, the Comics Code Authority. Yep. That's the, at least the legend. Uh, so they were being pretty careful with some stuff here. Which is fair. But this comic, there's while it wasn't terrible, I actually enjoyed reading it, but it's not amazing. No. There's a lot of a room. A solid B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of room for this character. Like you could have doubled down because we all know he's a heroin addict. addict. Him being a drug addict is interesting. Yes. Science vampire is interesting. Yes. Also, you could you could do social things like... Uh, the main bad guy has a disease and he can't afford or he tried to cure it, but it was not going all right. You could have, ham- you could have like doubled down on that and be like, okay, well modern medicine needs fixed. Like in some societies it isn't working or like, uh, Wait, also dislike in this story that Melter seems to be a better scientist than the Nobel prize winner. <laughs> yeah. One of the panels, he's like, what a intricate yet like subtle change in my work. Like this is, this is the sign of an expert. And it's like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, did not know Melter was a scientist before this. <laughs> All I said was, I got good grades. Okay. <laughs> I kind of paid attention. Oh, wow. Like, I'm not surprised a lot of supervillains from the Melter kind of era. Uh, he was a member of the Masters mm-hmm. of Evil is kind of his biggest thing. It, it is like, scientist who created evil weapon. Now he, that's his shtick. But Melter is like the shocker. Technically, he invented his stuff, so he must be smart, but he's still the shocker. <sighs> I also could have done without the, the, the five-page monologue of Aristotle at the beginning of the end. Uh, it was a little much. Like, we get the point of the story, that where even throughout what we just talked about in the first part of the podcast, almost all of his issues have arisen because he can't accept the fact this has happened to him. And he's not... He's not psychologically sitting down and being like, okay, how do I feel about this? Like, actually and talk, uh, talking about it and accepting it. Because if he had done that, he wouldn't be sticking needles in himself like every other day. He wouldn't have blood that just does whatever it wants. I mean, that was the point, that he was like, Aristotle's wrong. And you're like, I don't think he is, bro. Like, he's... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should think about that. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. In fairness to Morbius, the I've injected myself again with yet another serum doesn't feel as like smack him upside the head what's wrong with you when you're not looking through his entire history in one go yes but when he shows up again and he's like i'm trying a thing and you're like yeah buddy you keep it up (laughs) (laughs) the fact that spider-man in that panel he's like what happened and where he's like i i got this drug from shady people i injected without studying it spider-man was like okay like i should have my first red flag like wait (laughs) this must happen a lot (laughs) Don't even know why I'm asking at this point, Mike. Um, it tracks. <laughs> I do enjoy that Elizabeth was like, I'm going to kill the living vampire. Now, it is the year, like, thanks to sliding time scale, like, 2010. I literally have no choice if I'm going to be a vampire hunter, but to dress up as extra vampire hunter as I can. Yeah. Like, PS2 era vampire hunter. I mean, we already said... <laughs> Van Helsing, that movie would have come out not too many years before. She straight up is just cosplaying 
And she, like, straight up chose to do that. It shows you what who she trained with, and they looked normal. Like, they had normal clothes on. One guy had, like, a shotgun and some, like, stuff, and the old lady had, like, some, like, like steaks. But they had normal clothes on. Yeah. She chose to go the extra mile. <laughs> She's got the Witchfinder's hat sometimes. <laughs> yeah. She's got the whole, like... Leather get-up. Eastern European uh, Solomon Kane with <laughs> looking going down. <laughs> That's not even a Greek thing. No. That's just, like... Yeah. <laughs> That's European Baneland. Now, so, if we're going Michael Morbius as Jason Manzukis, then she would have to be, oh, God, what's her, Nia Vardalos? Was that my big fat Greek wedding? I think so. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she'd be good at that. <laughs> and now that's my favorite. That's my perfect Morbius. Although, honestly. <laughs> so many perfect Morbius. The, oh, I can't think of the main character from The Good Place, uh, who mm. I love. Uh, oh. Kristen Bell? No. Yeah. Yes, Kristen Bell wouldn't be terrible. No. She yeah. could do a really over-the-top Elizabeth. That's really it. I think there's room for it to grow in the future for definitely with some fun comics. I almost feel like at this... <sighs> Morbius was a great idea. Science Vampires, a fantastic idea. But there's better ones? Mm. Dr. I- Sun exists. <laughs> No one's used him since the seventies. Doctor Sun exists. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. He's here. I'm gonna have to find an issue or two because for the other vampires, I wasn't planning on doing any of the Doctor Sun in our reading because it's not just like here's the hmm. Doctor Sun storyline, but he'll appear across multiple issues. We might have to read one of them. Be like, it's not a full story. I just want to like experience this beyond the picture and the wiki blurb that I have fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much to say. Morbius suffers from the similar thing you were talking about with Death of Doctor Strange of you kind of wish he doesn't come back. Yeah. Like it is it is the eternal as much as I love comic books and as much as I support the ongoing adventures, it is kind of the flaw of you eventually are like we have three Morbius stories. Yeah. It he solves the cure. He gives into the hunger and decides he doesn't need a cure. Rinse, repeat. He tries to make the cure and messes up. Let him just be cured and be an ally of Spidey at this point. They did for years. Or just accept the fact that he is this way and stop looking for a cure. And have Blade kill him. <laughs> <laughs> or he could just team up with Blade at that point. Because if he accepts, if he accepts that's who he is, and he doesn't mess with it anymore, then he shouldn't black out like he did before. He should be in control of his faculties to an extent. So what you're telling me is black out Morbius doubleheader. Yes. You just want a return of the Midnight Suns. Well, yes. Which actually we have going on right now, but with like none of the old school Midnight Suns in it, it still looks pretty sweet. Kushala is in it. It looks amazing. And magic is in it. And uh, Laura Kinney X-23, all new Wolverine. And I don't know why she's there, but I'm down. I'm, I'm all of it looks amazing, <laughs> but you have to admit that 95% of his problems are were caused him? by him. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> he is, he is the lizard, but with a different theme because also with the lizard, you're like, Oh, he's so tragic. It's 100% your own fault. Yeah. Risa Fons. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him as the lizard though. Yeah, he, he was a good, good job. He was good. He's always good. Yeah, I don't have I much don't, more. That's fine. That's okay. Next time, we will be dealing with the Baron's Bloods. Baron Blood. Uh, a little bit of Union Jack and uh, Spitfire, who we actually 
met way back when, we will be dealing with Nazi vampires and the people who killed them. Heck yeah. Actually, don't hate that for a name. Uh, our readings will be uh, Roger Cern and John Burns' Captain America 253 and 254 from January and February of 1981, as well as the plotline The Vampiric Verses from Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme 14 through 18 from 1989 and 1990 by, uh, by Roy Thomas. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the bi-monthly showing of Helsing Ultimate starts soon so that we can get a good vampire into our heads. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at Earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.